on your handout. Consider the ideologies of our current secular society. We won't devolve into that. However, the definitions of our culture are often contrary to biblical thought. Unfortunately, we're inundated with ideas that oppose several aspects of our faith. Now, just to be clear, as you will know, I am a counterculture preacher. The Bible is not written in a westernized style. It does not follow suit with the ideology of democracy. The the Bible is based on a theocracy, a king. God is the king. Now I say that because we need to make sure we understand the scripture is by no private interpretation. It didn't come, the Bible says, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So we're going to get into that in a moment. Watch this. It doesn't need our validation. In fact, it's absent of our validation. Let God be true and every man a liar. So given that God did not ask us for our opinion our input into the scripture and that the scripture itself declares that nothing should be added or taken away from it. The Bible now will always be counterculture because the American culture may, may be or may not be, most of the time may not be, congruent with biblical culture. All right, so... We'll get down this. I just have to set this up for you. This is very difficult for Americans. It's very difficult for us to understand. And I don't know how many years I've been teaching this, but, but the same concept that it is, it's incumbent on us to adhere to the Scripture, to change our life, to change our way of thinking so that we are in touch with the Lord so that we learn from God. So that we can understand the things of God. That only comes through the Holy Spirit. Alright. So here are a few things that oppose the aspects of our faith. Sound doctrine. There's an opposition to sound doctrine. That's the doctrine of Jesus Christ. When I say the apostles' doctrines, because the Bible says that they went about teaching the apostles' doctrine. Which was no less than the doctrine of Jesus Christ. There's only one doctrine. It may have a few different names to it, but there's only one doctrine. Sound doctrine. There's an opposition to that. It's clarity. Sound doctrine. Sound doctrine. I, I don't have this on your paper, but it's exclusive or exclusivity. exclusivity. So anyone who believes in Jesus Christ is an exclusivist. Because... We believe that there's no other name under heaven, Acts 4.12, given among men whereby we must be saved. By virtue of your statement of Acts 4.12, you are an exclusivist. So you have to adhere to sound doctrine. Amen. Number two is wholesome living. Now, wholesome living, and, you, and I invite you to write as many of these words as you can. That's purity. That's pure thoughts, pure ways, wholesome living. 
may I just add to wholesome living, it's a disciplined lifestyle. Your words, your eyes, your actions, your talk, how you live, wholesome living, the world and cultural norms oppose wholesome living. And the Bible declares that it would be so, that right would be called wrong, wrong would be called right, evil would be called good, good would be called evil. We're living in a day right now when things that used to be known, defined as good or right in the early 1900s and all those years prior to that now has been flipped. So that even me talking about wholesome living It would be today attributed to traditional values which are opposed to other values. So wholesome living has a lot of opposition. You don't have to change anything about yourself right now. And in five, ten years, you will look so foreign to this world. You don't have to change anything about yourself. All you have to do is stay exactly as you are right now. Every day, you're getting farther and farther away from the direction of the world. Every day. Every day. Every day. Number three is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) there's an opposition to the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is always opposed to the fruit of the flesh, which is never mentioned. We, we, we call it the works of the flesh. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. The fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not, a, is, not, is not several different types of fruit. It's one. You can't have love without joy. You can't have joy without peace. You can't splice it off. So it's the whole thing. So, so you cannot be hateful and still have joy. You can't be angry you can't have you can't be impatient and still have love they all fit together so there's an opposition to that the world that we live in is opposed to the fruit of the spirit we're going to get somewhere so just stay with me we've got to we've got to build our foundation here and now we're on number 4 marriage and the structure of the home there is an all out attack against every marriage and the structure of the home now why would that be why do we talk now about non-binaries and gender fluidity? Why are we, why are, where do those statements come from? Here's the reason. Because Lucifer has always been, his great attempt is to distort the origin or the original, the genesis of God. And God made them male and female. His great plight, the enemy's great plight is to distort the original concept and construction of God. The creator created male and female, and the devil is tr- have always tried to distort that. Always. So, we're in the last days of time. I do believe that. I don't know if you share that opinion, but we're in the last days of time. And marriages are under great attack. The structure of the home is under great attack. Insomuch that it's widely known that m- many homes are run not by or governed not by a mother or a father but by children and in some many cases grandchildren this is under great attack number five servanthood loss or gain servanthood is not an american tradition it's a biblical thought 
Remember how I've taught this, and if you've not heard this, just remember. Within 72 hours, two men held a basin of water and a towel. Two men. The first man stooped down and washed the feet of his disciples. Peter did not want that because he knew what that meant. See, they rented a room. There was no attending servant to wash their feet. In every other setting, there was a servant to wash their feet from the roads. And the feet were, they were unsanitary. A basin of water and a towel was a common feature of the servant who greeted people who came in a home. Cleanliness was the order of the day. It was only the Lord and his 12 disciples. And so Jesus picked up the basin of water, washed their feet, and dried them with a towel. It was against the grain. And Peter said, oh no. And then, of course, the Lord said, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. And Peter said, well, then wash all of me. These were great big declarations. Peter, at that point, had become very pious. He, he spoke in broad terms. I'll never deny you. I'll always be with you. Wash all of me. Within 72 hours, another man picked up a basin of water and a towel, and that was Pilate. And he washed his hands to absolve himself of the guilt and responsibility of crucifying the Lord. You're going to have a basin of water everybody has. You're either going to wash someone's feet or servanthood, or you're going to absolve yourself from responsibility of serving one another. Everybody has a basin of water. Everyone has a towel. How are we doing? So, Servanthood is a concept not created by the world, especially in our world, where both loss and gain are attributed to servanthood. Because what, what we understand of servanthood is when you serve, you gain. When you lose, you gain. Here's the scripture. Why not rather be cheated? Why not rather be wronged? I don't, I don't sound appetizing to me. That's not palatable to me. What? Jesus said, turn the other cheek. What does that mean? That means give them an opportunity to do you wrong again. I don't even know the statement. What is it? You know, you, you fool me once, shame on me. You fool me twice, shame on you three times a lady. I don't know. What is it? <laughs> Something like that. I can't remember. F- fool me three times. Yeah, okay, yeah, something. And is there a third time in there? Okay, no, that, that must have been the Commodores. Okay. <laughs> this idea of servanthood really does, it, it bothers us. Because as one man said, you never know you're a servant until you're treated like one. I'm a servant. Oh, really? Let someone treat you like a servant and then we'll find out. Yeah, I knew that wasn't going to go over very well. But hey, you know, we're just, it's only Wednesday. You can recover. Number six is the priority of worship. Now, now why do we have, why do we have this, this opposition of worship? And how does it come about? Well, it really doesn't come about because people are always opposed to going to church. It's, it's that we have many options today. The options uh, that we are afforded is, is the opposition to the primary. Or as we know, secondaries are always the enemy of the primary. Church attendance and church worship is 
under attack, not, be, not, in, a, not in a very uh, overt way, but very subtle way. Because we got football and baseball and basketball and we got sports and we got kids programs and we got, we've got marching bands and, 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 and we've, got, we've got little league softballs and baseballs and, and, and we, have, we have people who want to do things and, and we have sitcoms and shows and things we have to do and priorities are, and all of a sudden we've got options like a huge menu. I don't know if you've ever been to, um, uh, to the Cheesecake Factory. There's a restaurant called the Cheesecake Factory. It has, it has like a, a novel. The, 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 the menu is like a novel. There's pages and pages and pages. And I just can't hardly take it. I just, I, I, I can't hardly do it because too many options, too many options. I feel regret every time I order something. I miss something else that was better than that. I just regret. I'm just going through the pages and going through the pages. And, and they say, well, what would you like? And I say, can you recommend something? And they, and then the waiter says, all of it's good. That's the worst thing I could, if he will just say, all of this is bad. This one thing is what you want. That's what I want. I like to have three things to pick from. Three, two. Just bring something that you like. Tammy and I were in New York several years ago, and we stopped by this. We were in Little Italy, and the, and the man was over there yelling at us, "Hey, come over here!" Hey, and we didn't know what we what we wanted to order. And I said, "Well, what do you got?" He said, "Don't worry about it. Sit down." Hundred twenty five dollars later, it was the best meal I've ever had, but it was very expensive. He just brought stuff out, you know, just brought it out, just said, "Sit down, I'll take care of you." Like reminding me of my grandfather. The options to the church is what's it's what's hurting the church, and the devil is subtle, and the world is subtle, and they'll bring all kinds of options. You have other things to do on Wednesday night than come to church, but if we're going to have discipline in our life, if the word is going to be sown in our heart. It means we've got to recognize society's opposition. And those options, actually, though they look normal, though they look really benign, they are very detrimental to our lives. The priority, ladies and gentlemen, is worship. And when I say of worship, I mean we're coming into this house for worship. And number seven, finally, is government versus scripture. Oh, my and I don't want to labor here long. But government changes and laws change. And, and there have been seasons in America where the government um, was in line with the scripture. But I believe that we're entering a season where the government will, will openly um, rebuff the scripture. What is legal is not always holy. What is permissible by your employer, by your school, by your university, is not always what we would call righteous living. Be very careful before you buy into the concept. We used to sing these songs. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. We used to think this was a temporary, but now we've gotten intoxicated with this living condition. And it's Americanized, but it's not just America. It's all over the world. Remember, there's an opposition. It's government versus the scripture. So I'm on your script. In light of these major oppositions, it's reasonable to see the challenge of those who follow Christ with all their heart. It's imperative that we put the Lord in everything we do. But we know that he'll only occupy the space that, that we give him. We know that. 
He's kind, he's gentle, he stands at the door, he knocks. As a church body, we want to be known what we're for. That means love, forgiveness. I want new life to be known what we're for. We serve, we give. However, there are times, and this is the lesson tonight, we have to discover what is not before we find the greater good. What is not? What is removed before what exists? So let me help us with this tonight. The believer's defined role. And, and I've not exhausted this, but just I offer four points to spread the gospel. To spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is your role. That is your purpose. To be an example to the world and yes, to other believers. Let her see. Your role is looking, even the Bible would say, looking for the soon coming of Jesus Christ. That means you're aware. Jesus even said, be sober, be vigilant. He said to his disciples, watch and pray. Looking, it's awareness. And finally, ministering, that serving. Ministering to the body of Jesus Christ. That means everyone in here presents you an opportunity to serve. This is not always something that is embraced by people because individualism has destroyed the concept of the body of Jesus Christ. But I, prom- I, I promote and present something far different than the individualist look. In fact, I'm very concerned about people who, who embrace their individualism. They usually are a deterrent to unity in the body of Jesus Christ. Do you know how to have unity? Unity exists when there's an absence of opinions. The more opinions, the less unity in the church. Heavily opinioned people, heavily opinionated people concern me. You don't have to have an opinion about everything. It's okay. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I, this, the, the danger here, of course, is I've lived this too long. And I know this. So my antennas go up when, when people are always speaking about their opinions. And they're passionate about opinions. I wonder about your passion for the cause of Jesus Christ. We've got to have more passion for the cause of Jesus Christ. Your role, your role, it's not a position that can be given by a pastor or a leader. That is just, that's something that, that's added on. You were called to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. You were called to be a witness and example to the body, to the believers, to the world. You, you were born again of the water and spirit because he prepared something for you. This, this is a temporal life, so you've got to look beyond it. See, if you're not looking for the soon coming of Jesus Christ, then your heart won't be in the right place. And wherever your heart is, that is where your treasure is. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Temporal living is always seen in the location of the treasure. It's got to, it's got to, you got to know that. All right. This is a very silent crowd, which I'm assuming that you're just taking it in. And maybe you haven't heard me for a while. So we're, we're here. Praise the Lord. How about some scripture? Do you like the scripture? 
Listen, you'll, one of these points you're really going to like, pr- I promise, one, maybe two. Let's look at the declaratives of what is not in the Bible. And, and once again, there are more than what I presented, but we don't have enough room on this page. Here's 2 Peter 1. For the prophecy came not, everyone say came not. It came not in old time by the will of man. This is, this is what is not. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Here's Paul's writing to the church in Thessalonica. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power, in the Holy Ghost, and in much assurance, as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. To Corinth and I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Think of that. John 12. If any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Oh, Mark 10. For even the Son of Man, this is the words of Jesus, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. John 3.17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Let's just review it for a moment. Second Peter 2, 1 verse 21, to understand how the scripture came, there had to be a declarative of how it did not come. You don't know that it came by God until you know that it didn't come by men. So this application gives credence or credibility to the authenticity of the scripture. Let me just pause here and just say. We want to live for God. We, we want to apply the scripture to our lives and the principles of the scripture to our living. But the problem is we can't fit in the principles into our current life until we take out the wrong thing. We can't put the right things until we take out the wrong things. God will operate in the space that you give him. So you can hear all these things year after Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday, all the lessons and sermons on forgiveness and compassion and love and fervency and prayer. But until you remove some things, it doesn't matter how many lessons you hear on prayer, you don't have time to pray. The reason why we don't have time for prayer is because our, our days are, are built. They, we have so many things going on. We don't, we don't have any room to add anything. We want to add to our faith, patience and virtue and virtue and love and brotherly. We want to have all that, but unless you remove some things, What is not allows what can be or what is. So I can't even understand that this was not, that this is the word of God until I get the idea, the fact that this didn't come by men. Until you realize a man did not author this. It was the author and the finish of your faith that authored this. There were writers, but there's only one author. So we've got to understand. Otherwise, I have no credit. The Bible has no credibility. It didn't come by the will of man. It came by God. Now I know that the word of God is for my life. But I had to remove something. Skepticism, doubt, humanism, fleshly concepts. Otherwise, the Bible is a book of suggestions. And not 
the actual living word of God. If this is not of God, if I don't, if I don't first come to the fact, the idea, the concept, or the realization that this did not come from man, if I don't get that, then guess what happens to the Old Testament? It becomes relativism. Cultural relativism throughout the whole Bible. Now, I remove all the concepts and principles of the scripture because I had to devalue it and it becomes cultural relativity instead of God's actual word for me right now. Do you know how many people slide off into that pit called cultural relativism? Many people, and they say, well, that was just for them in the Bible. That's not for us today. That was just an old custom. That, you know, that was just the New Testament. It's not for us today. Really? Well, when you get, when you devalue the scripture like that, what you've done is you've said, this is just a man's interpretation of a story or a theme. And now, because of that, the Bible becomes thematic in nature, but not applicable for lifestyle. Uh oh. Uh oh. Trouble. Because I've got to take something out before I can put something in. I've got to take out the idea that some men got together. Listen, this is a phenomenal thing that 700 years separated Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2. Incredible. That the very thing that Joel said in, 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 in Joel chapter 2, it happened in Acts chapter 2. Joel prophesied 700 years prior, there's going to come a day, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters, they're going to be speaking in tongues. And on that day, this is what happened. Peter got up and said, this, when they were speaking in tongues, Peter said, this is that. What's going on here today is what Joel prophesied that in the last days he would pour out his spirit upon all flesh. This is that relates an idea that could not be man-made. Of course, we could go, we can go on this all day long. You can, we can read the book of Daniel, the book of Revelation and find out there's so much crossover. It had to be God that inspired the holy book that you read in your, in your daily reading. But you gotta take something out before you can put something in. What is not? Are you with me now? First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians 1.5. It's the assurance of the death, burial, resurrection. Now that's the gospel. Just right above that, if you want to write this, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. So anyone who tells you the gospel is the good news, you agree. And then say, well, that's icing on the cake, but here's the gospel. Paul said, I, would, I want to remind you of the gospel, how that Jesus died, 1 Corinthians 15, how he was buried, how he rose again on the third day. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we say the good news, fine. That's kind of ice. It's not the meat. That's just the seasoning. The meat is the death, the burial, the resurrection. And it was accompanied by power. Paul declared a visual. It was a very, this is what they were doing. Paul was declaring something that was going on in his life. And it was physical. It was a physical Visual transaction of proof. There's a transaction going on here. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just, I'm reading again. It wasn't just words. I came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. And in much assurance. So, anyone can say anything. But when there is a physical and visual transaction, well, where do we find that? Yes, well, lame men leaping 
in Acts chapter 3. But the Pharisees and the religious people did not like that. And they brought them before the Sanhedrin council. And they said, Peter and John, we don't want you to do this. But the problem was the man that was healed, the Bible says they could say nothing against it. Because it was a visual and it was a physical transaction. You can decry my, my doctrine. The problem is when someone's healed and they were lame and now they're walking, you can't say anything against that. So, so what Paul said, we didn't just come to you with a bunch of words. We came to you with power and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Something had to be taken out so that something could be put in. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and, and here's the Bible. Paul said, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom. I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and crucified. Here is the apostle again will showcase how he did not present truth. This was in opposition to the greater religious sects, which often use complex thoughts in order to impress the congregations. I would even say to control them. With Paul's educational background, he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He was a learned man. It's apparent that he could have used enticing verbiage, but he determined to strip it from his presentation. I could have confounded you with my speech, but I did not. I came to you determining, determined not to know anything more than Jesus Christ and him crucified. I didn't come to you that way. Number four, John twelve forty seven. Watch how Jesus, he says, if any man hear, hear my words and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. Jesus will present himself as a compassionate Savior. He did not come to judge, meaning that he came to restore, renew, not demand adherence. His words, right there in that, in that verse, were in direct contrast to the many empires, kings, and governments that ruled through judgment, harshness, condemnation, but he said, I didn't come to judge. I'm, he was presenting himself as a compassionate Savior. This, I didn't come this way. Here's how I came. I'm removing something so I can put something back in. Let me just pause and just tell everybody here. Listen. The church has often tried to take things away from people without putting something back in their hands. When I, when, when I get with my children, I don't just try to strip them of things in their life. I try to take something out and put something in. So I'm taking out a false concept or a false idea presented by society, and I'm putting truth back in their brains, their minds. I'm filling the cavity that I created. Huh. All right. I hope we get this now. You're going to need this. I, I, I'm praying because some people, some people that come to this church, they got a lot of stuff in their life, but until you get empty, you can't be filled. This is the whole idea of repentance. Repentance is stripping away. It's dying. It's taking something out. Don't you know that the Lord would like to make himself known in a powerful way? Where does he have room to operate? When does he have room to operate? And what conversation or place? Here's, here's on your handout. I'm, I'm here in number five. Jesus says in Mark 10 and 45, he says, For the Son of Man came not to be ministered to, but to minister, give his life a ransom for many. This is, 
such a stark difference between every other conqueror. All the conquerors in their history set themselves up to be adored. They, they, they wanted uh, adherence. But Jesus sets himself up as a sacrifice. He first declares the absence of his own need before he ever speaks about what he can give to you. He's telling us that he didn't come for you to serve him, but he came to serve you. He gave himself up as a, as a sacrifice. Can you imagine what would happen to the church if, if when we meet people, we present ourselves, not what they could do for us, but what can I do? How can I serve you? How can I help you? Do you know the world, need, people need love. They need to know that they matter and that we are willing to serve them. We have reached more people by serving than we ever did by demanding. The demand is empty. It, it is, it's like the control mechanism. And, and no matter where we are in life, whether it's me or you or anyone else, the idealization of the pulpit strips servanthood and ministering to ministers to serve. Jesus did not come that way. He could have. He could have come as anything he wanted to. He could have called down lightning. He could have, he could have burned up anybody who, who opposed him. But he came meek and humble. He came serving. And he said, if I be lifted up, I'll, I'll draw all men unto me, which clearly was clearly marked at Calvary. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, he declares the absence of his own need. And finally, John 3.17. God sent not his son into the world. You know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. It's a big, it's at all the football games. But here's the next verse. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world. We, we have to discuss what is not. You can't get to the last verse, to the last portion, the second stanza, without going through the first stanza. And here's John 3.17. The pattern of what is not is firmly established in the words of Jesus. Before we discover why he came, it's critical, critical to declare why he did not come. It's the absence of condemnation which made room for redemption. And I would just say, None of us are effective when we come with condemnation. People need to be redeemed. Reconciliation does not start with condemnation. Never did. Redemption. But there can be no redemption until we remove the idea of condemnation. Here's how you start if you're talking to somebody who doesn't know the Lord. You start to say, God brought me a mighty long way. I haven't always been where I'm at today. And only by the grace of God am I saved. And only because of his mercy am I here. Instead of shining light on what we did right, we have to shine light on what he did for us, void of our own goodness. Because there's none good save one, that's God. You didn't get here because you were born into Pentecost. You didn't got, get here because you had some self-will, but you got here because the blood of Jesus preceded everything. And while you were in sin, he, died. he knew that you were going to be a sinner long before you were even born. In fact, David said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. And until we get to the verbiage and say, hey, I was lost. I was a sinner. I needed God. 
but we've got a whole community growing coming to church and say, well, you know, I've always been serving God. No, you haven't. You were lost and undone. You still needed a sacrifice. You still needed a Savior. My kids grew up in the church. This has been their whole life, but they still needed a Savior because without the cross of Calvary, no one can be saved. I don't start with my apostolic heritage. I start with my fleshly nature. I needed God. I had to have God. You had to have the Lord. Where would you be without the Lord? Tell me if your religion saved you. I will tell you a thousand times over it did not. Your religion won't save you. Just because you come to this church won't save you. You can put any title over your name. Apostolic, Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist. It won't save you. I'll tell you what saved you. It was that you recognized I'm a sinner. I'm lost. I'm far from God. I'm perishing. I'm dying. I got to repent. And then you died to your flesh. And you took something out so that the Spirit... Had, had room to, to get inside. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. See, I'm going to tell you, the arrogancy of every religion has stunted all growth. We can't become arrogant. We did do it by ourselves. We didn't get here by ourselves. I'm grateful if your father was in church and your mother and your grandparents and your great grandparents and their great great grampies and all those people down the line. But you did not obtain your salvation through DNA. In fact, if you got anything through DNA, it was how to be a sinner, how to do wrong, how to lie, cheat, and deceive. That messes with people. That's okay. I'm here. The comfort. The disturbed. And disturb the comfortable. That's my role. Plus, I'm, a second, I'm the second child, and that's also a problem child. So I'm just fulfilling my natural birth order. Praise the Lord. It's a gift. So... Just look at this. Honesty is based on the removal of the lie or the innuendo. Honesty. We call that integrity. Everyone say integrity. Because you see, unless you remove the lie or the innuendo, you cannot have integrity. Truth is based on the idea that a false report or message is not present. Right? <laughs> A false report, a message is not present. So with Abraham, when he saw the king Ahimelech, and he said to his wife, Sarah, listen, I'm afraid. They're going to kill me and take you. Let's just say you're my sister. That was half a truth. She was the half-sister. But everyone knows, right, that a half a truth is a full lie. Mm. All right. And that's called gospel. See, the real, the real definition of gospel is truth. It's truth. So truth is based upon the idea that something has been taken out so that gospel can be put in. And a faithful spouse, I put this in here, is known by where they are not or who they are not with faithfulness. That's called predictability. How far down do you want me to go with that? Predictability. You know, you know, 
the mysterious husband that's not predictable, he's probably not faithful either. Now, you can be mysterious when you're dating, but she don't want you to show up at all hours of the day and night. She'd like to know when you're coming home. Mm-hmm. Predictability, faithfulness. Faithfulness is akin to being predictable. I am predictable. Tammy doesn't have to guess, although we do have Life 360 in our phones. I don't know if you all have that app, Life 360. You know, you can tell where everyone's going and how fast they're driving. And I got other ways to find out where she is too because I got LifeLock. Every time she opens up another credit card to get 15% off of TJ Maxx, ding, I, it notifies me. Uh-huh. The space provided through purposeful intent allows new thoughts and new revelations to take root. I want God to be able to speak something fresh to your spirit. I want when the minister comes to preach the word, I want there to be so much room you can engulf all the revelations of the Most High God. But if there's no space, that means we've got to take some things out. That means we've got to remove some things. There is a phenomenon in the human brain, and it happens when you are engaged in certain activities that are redundant. This happens most frequently today with video games, games on people's phones. So that the more you play the game, and it's a redundant game, images, signs, whatever it is, you start to look at people through the image of what you've done in redundancy. This happened many, many years ago with some really famous chess players. As they started to have relationships in normal life, they kept visualizing people as, as pawns, rooks, kings, queens, and they could barely get past normal relationships. They superimposed. This is having a profound effect right now on all kinds of people of all ages. Because the more people play video games or games on their phones, the less likely they are to engage with the person that's standing in front of them. They're filtering all the images, even the color schemes and the grid that they see on their phone. This happens a lot. In fact, it's happening so much that they have a tough time having a normal relationship with people because their brains are so filled with the redundancy of the video game. And, and, our, and now our scientists and, our, and, our, and in, fact, in fact our medical teams are realizing people are even speech is starting to fail because no one knows how to speak anymore, even their feelings, because they're so filled with different thoughts in these redundant games. So I would present to you that without taking some things out of your life, I would just present to you from time to time, go on a, on a media fast. How about this? Turn off all the noise in your house for a day. Go dark, which means no movies, no Netflix, no Hulu, no television, no video games, no cell phones, no surfing. And the crowd goes crazy. Everybody's so excited. How about going dark for a day? One day. 
I, was, I, I, I don't really drink coffee. I drink cream with coffee. I mean, it, all you coffee drinkers, I'm sorry. I apologize. It's bitter. But I like certain creams in the coffee, and it kills the actual taste. And then I like it. You know, a little stevia, a little French vanilla cream, and sugar-free French vanilla cream. I like that because that, that makes me feel better about it. But I just challenged myself the other day. I said, I'm going to stop drinking coffee for a week or 10 days. I, don't, I can't remember how long it went. I think it went 10 days or longer. And, and the first day I thought, oh, you know what? Nobody would care. It's just my own commitment to myself. Nobody, this is not a spiritual thing. But, but I thought, no, I, I got to get control over that. And get, let me tell you, if you can't stop something, you're addicted. Can you stop doing something that you're doing right now? Can you stop doing it? Don't tell me it's not a sin. I'm not talking about a sin. Because the Bible says, lay aside every weight and sin that doth so easily besets us. Not all things that are sin are going to make you fail. In fact, some of you are not engaged in sin, but you got so much extra weight. I ain't talking about what right, what's right here on my hip. I'm talking about weight that you put on yourself that it besets you and you can't run with a bunch of weight on. I guarantee you if you put a hundred pound sack on your shoulders, it'd be a tough time walking around every day. But we add that to our life. I'm submitting to you. Take something out. Take it out. Get control of your spirit, your language, your time. That's right. Because there can be no revelation if there's no meditation. Paul said, think on these things. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Well, we don't have time to be quiet before the Lord. Do you know that prayer is not only talking to God, but it's a conversation. There, there should be a moment where you don't speak. Yes. How is he going to impart something to your spirit if your whole time is you're talking or you, you have no time for meditation on the word? I will just tell you, some of the greatest times in my life is when I'm listening for God. I've prayed, I've read my scripture, and now I'm just going to wait for a while. I'm going to wait for a while. I've got to have that. I need that. God speaks to me. He wants to talk to me. This is what fasting does for my life. I don't know how you view this, but fasting for me, and I'm addicted to this because I feel I need it in my life. Fasting is like riding in the car with God. He's always trying to talk to me. He's always talking to me, but I can't hear him because the clamor of my life. Fasting is what turns down the noise, the radio, so I can hear him. It removes my most natural instinctive desire food the first day i fast my stomach tells me this is a bad idea the second day i fast my stomach tells me this is enough the third day i fast my blood sugar dips a little bit and i'm not real happy the fourth day I fast, my blood sugar and my stomach is in agreement. They're fighting against my will. And every day after that, my will gets a little bit, my fleshly desire gets a little bit smaller and my spiritual hunger gets a little bit greater. And as that starts to transition 
the flesh starts to die, the spirit starts to grow, then I can start hearing God because I've taken something out of my life that I desire. Food's not bad. Now, some, wait, some, I, I should take that. Some food is very bad. But the food you like is wonderful. What are you willing to take out so that God can put, you want God to add something to your life. We pray all kinds of prayers for God to add something to your life, but we don't have the room. So we got to figure out what is not before we realize what can be. Three detrimental tools of the enemy. And the first one is busyness. Mark chapter 4. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world. There's the first step. The cares of this world consumed with everything that's going on. The cares of this world. There's another part. The deceitfulness of riches. Always trying to make some more money. Always trying to get ahead. The lust of other things entering him. Three things. Cares. Riches that you're always running for. And the lust of other things. That's, that encompasses all things that the flesh desires. Choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. Can you imagine the word of God sown but duties, obligations, running for more money, and lust choke out what otherwise would become a phenomenal, fruitful experience in your life. Busyness. Number two, I put voices. I got to this Romans chapter 8 through a series of other scriptures. And I won't. I didn't want to go through all of them, but I, I, I concluded with Romans 8 and 6. Carnally minded is death, but to, spirit, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. In the mind resonates all the voices of life. There is a cacophony of voices that speak to you. You know, when I'm counseling someone and it's a, it's a very serious issue, I ask them how many other people there, are they talking with? If they tell me they've got this counselor and that counselor and maybe three or four more, I usually say, well, then you don't want me. You don't need me. Because everyone's going to have their own opinion and we can't, it's, it's going to be congested. So pick somebody that you trust. Pick someone that you know is following after the Lord and that you trust and has the wisdom. But when you get three or four or five people putting in this is what's happening with all the facebook and people asking for opinions and all of a sudden you've got the swirling of voices and and that almost always results in a mind that's confused and it doesn't become spiritual it's a tool of the enemy all the things that you hear every day number three is options and i've talked about this earlier no man having put his hand to the plow looking back as fit for the kingdom of god how many options do you have can I, just, can I just reminisce a little bit here? There used to be a time when all the people in dad's church would set their vacations by what was going on in the church. I don't know. I don't want to make people feel bad, but man, if, if there was a revival and it was planned, nobody went on a vacation during revival. Nobody went on vacation. Nobody, in fact, people would even try to rearrange their work schedule so they could be at the revival. Maybe I'm a little nostalgic, but I groaned for those days when, when we couldn't get out of town because no one had any money to get out of town. 
and that our homes became the place where we would have a refuge. We didn't have to go off to Florida and get stung by a bunch of fire ants to feel like we really had a good vacation. Yeah. The options, I mean, I, 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 I'm reminiscing about more simple days, simpler times. When we groaned to come to church, we couldn't wait to get back to the house of God. We, we were expecting something to happen. I feel like that's here. I hope that you feel that. That we don't know what's going to happen Sunday. But man, last Sunday was so awesome. And the Sunday before, and I'm so glad I didn't miss that day. And that day is so wonderful. I, I hope that that's our feeling. Because expectation always precedes the work of the Holy Ghost. And the greater you expect the Lord, the greater he'll be there. You expect nothing, you usually get nothing. That's right. So, I would just say to you that, 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 that I've got to remove some things. We've got to remove some things from our life. It's clogging up our life. It's incredible. I was talking to, a, I was talking, uh, to someone who was, who was right in the throes of, of their children and, and a sporting program. And I told our story and I said, well... Alexandra was signed up for volleyball, and it's fine if your kids are signed up for volleyball. Just this, just our home, and the volleyball that she was signed up for, they wanted three practices and away games on Saturday. And Allie, she wanted to do it. She wanted to do volleyball, and I paid the entry fee before I got the before I before I received the schedule. But when I received the schedule, I said, "Wait a second. We're not giving ourselves the volleyball. The volleyball coach, the band director, the baseball coach, they think that their program is the only thing that matters, not our family. The world doesn't care about your family or about church. Whatever they're doing, it's all that matters. I want to tell you, Alexandria is not, help me. I'm already in trouble. She told me if I said her name from the pulpit, I owe her $20 every time I say her name. This is 80, this is 80 bucks. This is going to cost me 80 bucks by the time I'm done here tonight. She's probably not going to get a scholarship playing volleyball. Probably not. In fact, I'd like to have the money for the volleyball shoes back. I'd like to have the tennis, volleyball tennis shoes back. The world will consume everything you've got because they think it's the only thing that matters. We've got to learn to strip some things out and put the Lord, prayer, fasting, the Bible, devotions, the church, worship in the middle of everything and nothing happens unless we fulfill the primaries. Amen. Because you're not going to get anything in that belongs to God until you take things out that belong to self. Amen. Watch this. Moses is going to approach a burning bush. But before God speaks to Moses, God tells Moses, you got to take something off because the place where you're standing is holy ground. And when you come before the Lord God Almighty, you can't just come any way you want. Now, I know how we say come any way you want. I got that. But when you come before the Lord, it's time to put on humility. It's time to put on earnest fervency, desperation. You don't come pious and say, well, I can take you or leave it. No, God, I need you. You got to take something off the will of the flesh. I'm just reading scripture here now. 
Wherefore, gird up your loins, your mind be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is, be, that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy. So be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it's written, be ye holy for I am holy. Go back to verse 14. No one gets to be holy until you understand that you cannot fashion yourself according to the former lust. You cannot be lustful and holy at the same time. Unless if you want to be holy, you got to get rid of lust. You got to get rid of the former man. You can't put on the new man until you get rid of the former man. Amen. Ephesians 4.22, that you put off concerning the, what? The former conversation. It's corruptible. It's a corruptible thing. It's deceit. How could you be renewed in the spirit of your mind? Stop talking like you used to talk. Stop looking at the things you used to look at. Stop going to the places you used to go to. Stop putting the things on that you used to put on. Stop drinking the same. You've got to put off some things before you put on some things. No one is renewed until you get rid of some things in your life. That's right. What I'm talking tonight about what is not. What is not defines me just as much as what is. Yeah, that's right. Put on the new man, which after God is created. Oh, I love it. That's a genesis in righteousness and true holiness. Look at it. Look at it one more time. Do the one, two, three. 22, put off. You should underline put off. Put off. Verse 23, what's the word? Renewed. Nobody is renewed until you put off. Come on, I got to put off and then I'm going to get renewed. Put off, renewed. And what's the last thing? Created. Created. I got to have something created in my life. Here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to put off, then I'm going to be renewed, and then that allows God to create something in me. Create something in me. Amen. I pray right now in the Holy Ghost, Lord, you know The words that are spoken, they are truth, they are life because they are your words. So I pray for the congregation of believers. We are hungry for this, Lord. I pray.